Oftentimes, people can see Christians as dogmatic or as laser-focused on their religion, said in quotes. This can be true, but what others do not understand is that knowledge is crucial to a Christian, and sometimes, when the pursuit of knowledge eclipses our pursuit of love, this can create a negative view. However, knowledge is a pillar of Christianity in that it is just as crucial to a believer as a big, nutritious breakfast is to a marathon runner. In fact, our nutrition in our faith is knowledge, the Word of God. How can the pursuit of knowledge be a negative? How can talking about knowledge lead people away from Christ? I'll answer that. Let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to The Whitaker Show. This is a show geared towards talking about the many key lessons and takeaways of Christianity with an eye towards apologetics. Thanks for tuning in. So, before I get started, let me just say thank you so much for listening to this show. I know I always say that you could be doing anything else other than this, but I'm definitely appreciative that you're just here in the first place. So let me give you a small excerpt to set the point for this whole podcast, right? So Ray Stedman, right, has an excellent excerpt on knowledge. Let me read you this. Just bear with me here. Now this means, of course, and here's talking about something totally different, but back to it, that our studying must be deliberate. The knowledge of the word must be more than a hobby with us or a diversion. An option in life, a kind of low-calorie dessert which we can take or leave as we please. No, no, no. This demands time and strength, he says. The exhortations of Scripture are to be diligent in this, right? Grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. That's in 2 Peter 3.18. Be diligent about searching the Scriptures and studying the Word. Notice how the apostles labored to make these things clear and to drive this point home. When apostle... When the Apostle Paul met with his dear friends from Ephesus on his last visit with that church, Ray says, going up to Jerusalem, he was facing the possibility of bondage and imprisonment there for Christ's sake, right? He called them together and said, as his closing words, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. That is what we need, is it not? What is the instrument? Paul continues, why the word of God, he says, and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Acts 20, 32. Now, why do I say all this, right? Christian knowledge, the, the pursuit of knowledge in Christianity is literally our nutrition, right? That is what feeds us. That is what we base everything off of, right? The Bible is Christian nutrition, right? And, and it's no doubt to a re- religious believer of any faith, you know, at all, that the scripture or like religious texts involved in the religion are to be hallowed. And by hallowed, I mean that they are sacred and of deep respect to the believer in question. Without those words or codified rules, those religions wouldn't be very cohesive and would be subject to the whims of the person who forgot every single tiny detail, right? As we'll see later on with the Pharisees. So, oral tradition can be dangerous, right? And while it's great to approach life with the rigor of being able to memorize everything, I mean, we often idolize those Christians who can memorize each verse or those um, Jews or Muslims who are raised to either talk about the Quran or the Torah and, and they can recite every single verse by heart. I mean, that's that's amazing, right? We all need to write things down every once in a while. We can all admit that. But writing things down is very important. Now, why is that important? Why did God give Moses the commandments in physical form? Right? 
why does God mention verses that talk about writing His commandments in your heart and whatnot? Well, because bringing something into the physical makes it real. And what do I mean by making it real? Um, I mean making a conscious choice to affect a choice, right? To put it into play, to make it so. You don't run marathons by thinking about it, right? <laughs> Even though I do it all the time in my head because I want to run that far so bad, but my body just can't do it. So Proverbs 2, 1 through 22 states, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. What do we see here, right? That's a lot of words. It sounds pretty complex. We have action words like receive, treasure up, incline, call out, and seek. Those are those are physical words. These words don't just mean sitting and pondering, but doing, right? Yes, it can definitely be important to have patience and sit or study or such other mental exercise, but there's definitely a call for us to be physical with our faith. Paul speaks ex- extensively about this in Romans. This includes the pursuit of knowledge, right? God wanted the physical word of God to exist so that we hold it, so that we engage with it, right? Like a marathon is an engaging event. When you put a treadmill in your garage, it's a lot harder to hide than your online membership ID to Planet Fitness, okay? A lot, a lot harder to hide. It may be hidden underneath all those clothes you have it on. <laughs> you, got your, you got your workout clothes on it. You may got some, some boxes full of books, right? But it's still there, right? It's still a lot more there than your online login to Planet Fitness or to any other gym you have. Our nutrition is the Word of God, right? And it needs to be a major part of our life. How many times have you heard that nutrition is 70 or 80% of losing weight, right? Well, apply the same aspect to your spirituality or religion. You can go out and feed the homeless or preach or even just be there for someone, right? But having the knowledge of God's Word makes those experiences all the richer, I would say. Eating balanced meals with the right amount of calories will most likely help you to lose weight. Keyword, most likely. But reading the Word of God will, without fail, cause you to grow stronger in your faith walk. That's a guarantee that not only you can take to the bank, but the worldly life cannot give you. Right? The fact you you will grow with God's Word. There is no question about this. So, what does the God of the universe say about knowledge? Right? We have iconic verses about knowledge, like Proverbs 15:14. The heart of him who has understanding seeks not seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. Or Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me, God says. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children, which none of us want to hear, right? God seems pretty serious about knowledge. I mean, that's what I inferred from it. You talk about forgetting someone's children. That's pretty serious. But no, God is serious about his knowledge, right? It didn't seem pretty serious. It didn't seem kind of serious. He is serious about his word. It is life-changing. The first verse details that we should seek God's knowledge as it embeds itself in our heart and not be like the fool we are, you know, and accepting every small thing as knowledge, which we see all the time. I mean, social media is a pure example of people just seeking after like whatever is in front of their face, you know, in their feed. Um, now... Notice how this is worded, right? Where God says that the fool feeds on foolishness. This patches is made even deeper from an understanding of Proverbs 18.5, which states, The wellspring of wisdom in the heart of a believer continually supplies words of wisdom. Following that, 
18:15 states, we must get knowledge, not only into our heads, but into our hearts. All right. Those are a lot of verses and points. I get it. So what do I mean? When the Bible mentions that knowledge can be stored in and can be disseminated from the heart, right? Whereas the mouth has been mentioned to be only capable of dissemination, we learn that it's very critical to be able to have those two those two avenues, right? To, to, to store and then to provide. God never wants us to just store up our faith, our, our tithes, our, our like anything that's good for you. He wants to also give it to others. This is a giving faith, the Christian faith is. And so is knowledge. The Christian knowledge is meant to be talked about. God's word doesn't return to him void. It's meant to be talked about. Now, we hear all the time in the Bible about the wickedness, right? Our fickle nature of the heart, right? The fool is constantly being swayed by anything that he or she hears and often like reiterates it back out. You know, like kids, when you tell them something and they're not supposed to say and then they say it the whole day long. Yeah, like that. Whereas, you know, the wise is knowledgeable of his or her foundations and tempers all words to the Holy Spirit, which would be the ideal outcome, right? Hosea's verse... Um, mentions how Israel's being chastised by God for giving up his knowledge for the comfort of Israel's neighbors. You know, they had seen all this amazing stuff happen throughout the Old Testament. Um, God being like a pillar of fire and smoke. I mean, him rescuing them out of out of bondage in Egypt, right? But they still decided rather than rest in his promises and his comfort to go seek entertainment and like money from the neighboring, the neighboring uh, nations. Now, God is complaining to Hosea about his people, uh, his people's abandonment of knowledge, their abandonment of him and his word. And this is caused by the priests of the time, as well as the leaders of Israel. It's on their heads, right? Because they, they didn't lead the people appropriately. Israel has centuries of being guided by prophets, priests, and kings, you know, kings ordained by God himself, and it, even the scriptures being handed down. But even then, still diverged from the knowledge that God was offering at the time, right? They directly knew about being guided through the wilderness from a God who manifested as a pillar of clouds and fire, you know, like I mentioned earlier. And then he came down on that, on the very mountain that they were traveling past and then showed his glory there. Not enough. They still, like, they still ended up forgetting about it because knowledge is meant to be reiterated and to, gone over, to be gone over constantly. Now, what more could one have asked for than all that? Like, how much would you and I, right? Those who are Christians that are listening to this, how much would you love to have God manifest himself in some kind of some kind of cool, epic, amazing way, right? I mean, or like even if you're not a Christian, like if you're of any other faith or you are trying to find your faith, like how cool would it be to have God just come down and say, bam, I'm here, right? But the Bible teaches us that that's not enough, right? Because they, they still forgot and gave up their due diligence. God can come down and smack you in the face, right? Give it about a year, you'll forget about it. We often live from a major miracle to a major miracle in our lives, right? But knowledge isn't just about knowing, okay? The word back in the 12th century meant the acknowledgement of a superior, right? Or the honor of one, or the worship of one back then. And I believe that that is completely accurate even now, right? Knowledge worships God and honors that which one knows. Knowledge also means awareness or a familiarity gained by experience of a fact or situation. Keyword, experience. Knowledge is composed of facts and experience. Therefore, this thing 
should be coveted, right? Knowledge should be something that we covet. Since Christians have an active faith, this means that they live their that like they live their faith. We live our faith. Reading the word and walking the walk of a Christian equals knowledge. And that's what's so cool about being a Christian is that you're literally living knowledge. Right? So Let's jump ship here. I see a very clear, a very clear progression of spiritual growth, which is really important to understanding knowledge in 1 John 2, 12 through 14. You can read this on your own if you get the chance, because it's a great lesson in the kind of progression that God shows in the Bible with our spiritual faith. And oftentimes he does give these in threes. Now, essentially that verse in 1 John 2, 12 through 14 mentions children. And then it mentions the young man and then the father. Well, Will, you would ask, it actually mentions the father second, not third. Okay, you are correct. And I'll get to that. Wait your turn and stop interrupting. Jeez. All right. So we have children being mentioned as in the primary stage of spiritual growth, right? This is kind of the, of the more like educational segment of the show. So bear with me here. Kids know such things that, you know, their sins are forgiven and that he has the whole world in his hands. You know, that, those kind of songs. And that's great. But one risk to remaining in our walk as a child is that we do not have the deeper foundation to repel doctrines that may be contrary to what is true. Now, this reflects itself when you consider that this doesn't necessarily mean age, the passage, right? But this could also mean one's spiritual age. I mean, you can be a child in Christ and be a 78-year-old. Those that are new in the faith are the least knowledgeable by dint of that definition, which means having facts and experience are the one things that they lack, right? But this is also one of the more in, intense parts of your faith and also the least stable, right? And clinging to that fire can be a bad thing as well. We are meant to grow in our faith, not just stick at the most hottest burning point, right? So next we have fathers. Now, why did John mention this order twice, right? So that, that verse goes through speaking about the child, the father, and then a young man. And then it like reverses it back, which is pretty peculiar, right? But it had a meaning, right? John was speaking to a particular audience, right? So that this letter is framed toward that audience, toward that audience. He was placing emphasis on the young man's stage of spiritual growth, specifically. He was saying, I see you children, right? I see you older Christians, and I'm especially looking at you, young men and women of God, those who have reached a stage of overcoming the evil one. This is a vital stage in one's maturation. Therefore, Paul placed emphasis on it. Now, this stage is characterized by being strong in one's um, faith and having the word of God abide in you. Keyword in you. This is also mentioned in the father stage, the word abiding in one. It is vital that we understand the emphasis here, right? That we also understand that when God details this, he details, he's, he details it from a new to faith standpoint to like new to church standpoint right so the child the young uh the father and then a young man as coming into christ right and then the child the father and then a young man as being in the faith and growing in it god wants us to have his word as an active part of our life look when you have when have you um, ever talked to a doctor worth his or her salt that isn't deeply involved in, in medical journals? I never have, personally. Right? Those people have to live in science all the time to keep up and give the best possible diagnosis. We are called for the exact same thing. Living in scripture means resting with God, and that is a dang good place to be in my opinion. 
I mean, if God, if God makes it so that reading his word is being with him, then I'm totally down for being with the God who created the universe and, and, and is love, is, is goodness. That sounds like a good deal to me, right? And then he says that I'll get knowledge. It's kind of like the, the saying that, you know, like, like rest your head on your book and then you'll, you won't learn anything. But the saying goes that you might learn something. Well, that's kind of like with the word, except don't lay your head on it. Read it. <laughs> Didn't. Bibles are hard. They're not good pillows. So Paul also mentions that the stage of the young man is last, right? As it is vital. How hard is it, all of us that are honest, to be, to be religious or steadfast in our, in our reading of the Bible, right? The enemy makes it super difficult. It's so easy to view reading the Bible as a hobby or a pastime, but it's supposed to be our staple. It's supposed to be where we come to rest. Young people in age and in spiritual age have to constantly deal with the whims of emotions, um, world twi- world trends, and, and a rapidly changing life as well as brain. I mean, you're not even fully formed until you're 25 in most cases. I mean, for me, the boat's still sailing, but I'm getting there. Young people are constantly attacked by the world and the evil one, you know, Satan. Therefore, this stage is emphasized by Paul due to his extreme pleasure of seeing this generation overcome evil right, to overcome the evil one and set themselves a good foundation that will lead them steadily into fatherhood, which will be the last stage of spiritual maturity as far as the general order of things, like beyond um, beyond the general focusing of the author on that particular stage. Um, yeah, I think I might have mixed up whether or not it was Paul or John. Either way, We'll continue on. Now, the final stage is to be a spiritually mature Christian, right? The father stage. Now, normally, people would associate this with perfection, but it's not. It's not perfection. The Bible is clear in us not achieving perfection until we are brought to live with God, right? So when we're with him, then we're, you know, in his likeness with him. The keenness process involves the teaching of the word to others, the raising of the next generation, and most importantly, denotes the stage where one has mastered life's fundamentals and lives the rest of his or her life devoted to the joy of experiencing God's handiwork. Cool. So how many times have you heard from cons, um, from content grandparents about how they're just so happy to see us, you know, and you can see them physically show up just to be with us, not even like for an actual purpose. They just want to be around us. Well, that's because they are living to experience what they have brought about, what they've caused to happen. They are in full worship mode, <laughs> which is a cool place to be. And we should all want to be there, right? But get there in God's time. I mean, not ours. Like, I definitely want to be in full worship mode, but there's a lot I have to learn. There's a lot I have to go through. I mean, it's, it's going to change my life Like when I have a kid and I can teach that kid and I can learn what it's like to teach another human being and to be responsible for their upbringing and their faith and who they are. This is the value of knowledge, and this is why it's a pillar. And this is what separates biblical knowledge from from worldly knowledge. Notice, I'm not speaking at all about how street smart you are, how much common sense you have. My goal is to talk about the the point of biblical knowledge. I mean, people weren't even washing their hands after surgeries until after after the Civil War, right? But that's talked about back in Leviticus. The Bible has what you need. It's got it. Um, The knowledge of the Christian teaches someone how to find joy how to seek justice, how to have faith, how to love, and most importantly, how to find God and therefore meaning. Knowledge is love. And this, I'll show you. Proverbs 3, 3. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. 
write them on the tablet of your heart, God says. God is an intimate, right? He's very intimate. And when you know him, you know love. Therefore, biblical Christian knowledge is love, right? Let me give you my final point. Before I close, I do want to reiterate why it is important to have a love, okay? Christians can come off as dogmatic, like I mentioned earlier, and very judgmental, regardless that God doesn't want us to be this way. God's a judger, not us. This makes it seem, makes us seem, honestly, like the Pharisees of the Old Testament. And let me give you a quick history lesson. Pharisee means separated one, a name given to the group by the Jewish people of the time. See, they emerged during a turbulent time, right, when Jesus was struggling to maintain its identity. The priesthood was corrupt, immorality was rampant, and the dominant spread of Greek culture threatened the Jewish way of life. In light of this crisis, a group of pious laymen responded by sounding the alarm on their brethren, right? They, they said, no, we're not going to stand for this. Only separation from all that was not Jewish would save the people and their faith. Now, the Bible clearly shows the good that the Pharisees had done. The goal is not to sit here and ostracize the Pharisees, right? They held Jews accountable to the Torah, to every single word in it, and helped the Jewish people to retain their roots in light of different cultures of the world. They were critical at that stage in Jewish life, but they devolved into those who liked their positions more than their responsibilities. And how many people do know I like that? Politicians, I'm talking to you. And therefore, it can seem like the Old Testament is a book ostracizing them. However, this isn't entirely true. They are a lesson to us, right? We all have a little Pharisee in us, or a lot, you know, in some cases, seeking to follow all the myriad rules, like creating new ones, right? Even the Pharisees did this. When, when they created ceremonial washing and then incorporated the ceremonial washing into the law of Moses, they added and took away from the law as their wisdom became the wisdom of man and not of God. Keyword here. They are a lesson to us to walk the walk and not talk the talk, to be humble and tempered by the Holy Spirit and God's word. See, Jesus didn't just spend time with the sinner, but also the Pharisee and vice versa. Jesus didn't condemn them explicitly for them being so legalistic. He just told them that you're missing the point and the point is me. Now, let me give you an example that's kind of changed my life like when I read about it. Um, this is how the Pharisaic the pharisaical mind works. This is a quote by Eugene Peterson, right? It's a little long, but I think we, we could all learn something from hearing it. So here it goes. Imagine yourself moving into a house with a huge picture window overlooking a lake with a grand view of mountains beyond. Snow-capped mountains, beautiful mountains. You have a ringside seat before all of this beauty, the cloud formations, the windstorms, the entire spectrum of sun-illuminated colors, and the rocks and trees, and the wildflowers in the water at first. You're just captivated by this view. You sit and you stand and you look and you admire, you catch your breath. Several times a day, you interrupt your work and stand before this window to take in the majesty and the beauty. And then one day you notice some bird droppings on the glass and you get a bucket of water and a towel and you clean it. A couple of days later, a rainstorm leaves the window streaked and the bucket comes out again. One day, some visitors with a tribe of small, dirty-fingered children come, and the moment they leave, you notice that there are smudge marks all over the window. They're hardly out of the door before you have the bucket out again. You're so proud of that window, and it's such a large window. But it's incredible how many different ways foreign objects can attach themselves to that window. 
obscuring the vision, distracting from the vision, keeping that window clean now becomes compulsive neurosis. You accumulate ladders, buckets, and squeegees. You construct scaffolding outside and one inside. You have to get to all of the difficult corners and heights. You end up having the cleanest window in North America. But it's now been years since you've looked through it. You've become a Pharisee, he says. Now to me, I can imagine a better example or a story of being a Pharisee is that. So, to cap it off, I have to say, knowledge is difficult for me specifically because I just want to learn everything, right? And then sometimes our our brain can tell us to learn certain things and to not focus on something that God may have for us. So knowledge is a pillar of Christianity because the Word of God is what we rest our faith on. The Word of God teaches us to love. The Word of God shows us how justice is supposed to work. It is a key part of this grace, faith, love, and justice thing that we have going here. So I, please, I implore you to read the Bible, to learn about it. I mean, even if you don't get it the first time, what's cool is that this is a journey. There are things that I read now from passages that I've read hundreds of times that had never gave me an inkling of, of like illumination until God decided that it was time. God wants us to learn, and this happens in stages, but putting it off is not a good strategy for learning it. You know, saying, oh, well, I'll, I'll do this plan and that plan. That doesn't fully work, right? It's good to just get in it every day and then live it. I mean, how, be- how best to learn something than t- to engage in it every day, right? So I really hope that y'all have enjoyed the show. Um, please let me know via email if you have any changes that you want me to make. Uh, again, like, thank you for listening to the show and for supporting me. And for just, and for just being here, please spread the word about the show. Um, like if you liked it, let other people hear about it and hear the good news and hear about how to kind of frame their arguments and that kind of stuff. Also, your homework. I'm going to try to be more um, intent about this, but your homework for the week is to find five or six Bible verses that really speak to your heart. And, and I mean, go through and, and find them. It doesn't matter how long we are. And write those down and make that as part of your, your normal weekly routine to read those verses. And by read, I mean, you know, like read over them learn about them, go find some Bible commentary about them because those are good habits that you're going to form like in the future. That, like you see a verse and then it speaks to you. Well, it's good, to, it's good to figure out why. Pray about it, go research it, but generally just find that, that biblical knowledge that really speaks to you and then develop good habits for finding what it comes from, what it mentions in the Bible. And then next thing you know, you're, you're in a giant like Bible study group. Who knows what'll happen? But God bless you all and have a great day. And again, I thank you for listening.